about manual therapy and again indications, counterindications, and then specific to the cervical spine we're going to talk about precautions that are regional specific so you don't have to worry about the vertebral artery when you're doing the thoracic spine or when you're doing the lumbar spine which you do in the cervical spine so we're going to talk about testing for vertebral artery and testing for instability primarily of the upper cervical spine because you don't want to do you don't want to cut off blood flow to the brain you don't want to compress any neurological structures at all especially in the spinal cord peripheral neuro peripheral structures are not as important although they can be painful so again, here's your course objectives. And we've we talked about this, or I talked about this in the intro to manual therapy lecture, but I'm gonna go over it again because there's a lot of patients that it's appropriate for, and if I mentioned this earlier, I probably did, but you're gonna get more comfortable doing it on patients that sort of fall to the outer margins of this as you practice, if you practice using manual therapy. So when you first start, you're going to make sure that they fit these things exactly um, and that's good and that's smart until you get more comfortable with your techniques and then you can sort of use your own clinical decision-making process as far as to who is an appropriate patient for manual therapy and who is not. But generally you're not going to be doing this to someone who is in acute, high, severe pain. It's usually going to be mild, mild pain and it's going to be a non-irritable or mildly irritable condition um, which is demonstrated by pain that is provoked by motion but disappears quickly. So you don't want to move someone, passively move them, manipulate them, mobilize them, if that's going to cause their pain to increase for a day. Now we did talk about transient effects, and Nancy mentioned it earlier related to her neck, that you are going to have some side effects where it's going to increase your pain, and you should always warn your patients that that might be the case, but you don't want it to be ongoing. Um, one, because you make them feel bad. Two, they probably, if you didn't warn them, they're not going to come back or they're not going to like you that much anyways. Um, you want to make sure it's intermittent musculoskeletal pain. So it's pain that is provoked by position or activity and you're not looking at any red flags, thinking about things that are non-musculoskeletal. Pain that is relieved by rest, again, indicating that it's a musculoskeletal symptom. Pain reliever provoked by positions or particular movements, so it's again the same thing. All getting to the fact that this is definitely a musculoskeletal condition and not some other systemic condition or pathological condition like cancer, um, bone disease, things like that. Pain is altered by postural changes. And then the last one is hard to quantify, but I think especially in the cervical spine, this is probably going to be one of the biggest indicators of when I'm going to use this, actually all throughout the whole spine, is hypomobility with varying degrees of irritability and no neurological signs or red flags. So this is when I'm doing the movement tests that we've been going through, the passive movements, specifically the accessory movements. If I feel someone that is tight in a specific movement, um, and they don't have any red flags for me doing manual therapy, that's when I'm going to go ahead and do it. So this is very subjective and it's just based on your experience in feeling people. Does this feel normal? Does this feel hypomobile? If it's hypomobile, you want to move it. And usually that will corroborate with your range of motion diagram, whether you do the star diagram like we talked about or whether you actually go through and measure with the goniometers, which you should do. Um, 
but usually you're going to find that there's hypomobility. If someone can't side bend to one side or they can't flex, there's going to be a hypomobility somewhere. That hypomobility has to be coming from somewhere. It can come from muscle, in which case mobilizing the joint doesn't do any good. Um, but if it does come from the joint, then it is very appropriate to treat at the joint with manual therapy. So the one that I use most is that last one, and that's just a feel. And you guys, we can't really describe that to you. You just have to feel a bunch of patients to understand what is hypomobile, what is hypermobile, and what is normal mobility. So it's good to know when to do it. It's more important to know when not to do it. And there's a bunch of lists, and you can memorize these lists, and that's fine, but if you understand the principles behind them, I don't think that you have to memorize them. So if an individual has, um, these are relative contraindications. So if someone has these things, it may or may not be appropriate to do manual therapy. And I talked before, I'm probably going to be more likely to do it on someone that has some of these, whereas you guys probably won't until you get more experience. And that's perfectly appropriate and fine. So someone that has joint effusion or sort of an acute inflammatory response, you might want to consider whether it's appropriate to do manual therapy on that person. RA, systemic disease, chances are I'm not going to do manual therapy on someone with RA. Potentially I could do some grades one and two, trying to decrease pain and muscle um, spasm, but not as likely. And if they're an acute flare-up, probably not. Presence of neurological signs, especially central nervous system neurological signs, you're definitely not going to be, um, I would say that's a red flag or absolute contraindication. But if they have ridiculous symptoms, um, I may or may not do manual therapy, but I would definitely investigate further before I chose to do so. Osteoporosis, you don't want to be moving bones and cause a fracture. So that's the biggest thing, and this is not specific to osteoporosis, although that's probably the most common bone disease, but any individual that has different types of bone disorders that cause them more likely to fracture, you don't want to be doing uh, manual therapy on them, particularly in improving range of motion, so grades three, four, and five. Um, Stephanie asked about this earlier. So hypermobility, if someone has too much mobility, why are you going to try and increase their range of motion? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, so I would say you don't want to do that. Pregnancy, it says if technique is applied to the spine, I would disagree. And if someone is pregnant and you're trying to increase range of motion, joint mo mobilization is not the way to do that at the spine or the extremities due to the hormones that are going through their body. Um, they're going to increase the laxity associated with those ligaments, so you're going to have a lot more movement available at the joints. And I wouldn't do, try, I wouldn't try to increase range of motion using joint mobilization in anyone that's pregnant. Dizziness, again, let's come back to a neurological sign. Um, although you do have patients that are dizzy with cervical spine injuries, and I would probably have them make sure that there's some sort of vascular workup to make sure that it's not related to vertebral artery. And we'll go through an algorithm in a couple minutes that talks about trying to differentiate between dizziness that's caused by lack of blood su supply to the brain versus dizziness that's caused by a problem with the vestibular system, which is in the ear and can be provoked by positional changes. So we'll talk about that. And individuals that are on steroid or anticoagulation therapy, steroids tend to decrease the tissue properties of collagen, so they make... Um, the ligaments and the joint capsules more lax. 
and anticoagulant therapy is going to decrease the clotting ability of your body. So it's going to decrease your ability to clot. So if you have a small tear due to a thrust technique, um, it's going to bleed inside them and cause some probably significant bruising. So if folks are on Coumadin or other anticoagulants, you're not going to be wanting to doing therapy to increase range of motion because you don't want to tear any vessels and have a bleed. So again, these lists just come from different authors. Um, this one is more recent, this one is Cottonborn, but they're, again, they get to probably most of the same things. And when you get into your absolute contraindications, it's gonna be most likely things that are not musculoskeletal, or things where your manual treatment is gonna put them at harm for more disease or more injury than the benefit of that treatment would be. So you have to weigh the risks of the treatment versus the benefits of the treatment. Um, bacterial infection, a history of cancer, so you should always ask your patients, I would say no matter if you're in manual therapy or not, if they've had cancer before because there's some signs and symptoms, maybe a metastasis of their original cancer. Uh, systemic localized infection, again non-musculoskeletal, sutures over the area, you don't want to be working on an open wound or a sutured open wound. Recent fracture, so you're not going to try and mobilize someone that has a tibial plateau fracture in their knee because you could aggravate the callus forming. Cellulitis, non-musculoskeletal fever, um, tends to indicate something systemic that is probably not musculoskeletal and it's not necessarily appropriate while they're in the febrile state. Blood clots, circulatory conditions, again, whether they're gonna bleed too much. An open wound, you're not gonna be doing manual therapy on an open wound. Osteomyelitis is a bone infection. Advanced diabetes, if these folks don't have sensation at their joint, they can't give you any feedback. If that changes their symptoms, that's not gonna be any good. Plus there's gonna be um, vascular issues with diabetes as well. Hypersensitivity of the skin. So if they can't handle you touching them, you can't touch them. Um, inappropriate end feels. So this is, you should know or be able to expect what the end feel should feel like. So inappropriate is something that you would not expect, or it may be that it's in a different position than you would expect. So they can't get to their end range, which would probably be an empty end feel, whether it's painful, so I can't go anymore, I can't lift my shoulder up any higher because it hurts, or I can't go up anymore and it's stuck in that position. Um, and it's, if it's stuck, it's stuck because of, I feel like there's bones connecting to one another and not that that's a ligament. Um, or joint capsule sort of end feel. So an inappropriate end feel, one that you wouldn't expect, whether in the normal end range or in a different premature end range. Constant severe pain, including pain that disturbs sleep, um, indicating a condition like being in the acute stage of healing. So if it's constant severe pain, if it's disturbed sleep, um, you want to be cognizant that that may not be a musculoskeletal condition, so I would question further on, is it related to position, is it related to activity, is there always the same pain, it doesn't change at all, in which case it may not be appropriately treated by you guys. Um, if it's in the acute stages of healing, I would consider doing grades one or two to decrease the pain, but definitely not to increase range of motion. Extensive radiation of pain, pain unrelieved by rest or severe irritability, meaning you do a little bit of movement to them and that pain goes up really high and stays really high for a long period of time.
another author, another list of contraindications, pathological changes in the spine due to cancer, inflammation, or infection, or bone disease. Active collagen or vascular disorders, so if you have a problem with the ligaments of the joint capsule, you don't want to stretch it out. Again, the bleeding issue. Um, massive degeneration of the spine. Loss of um, skeletal or ligamentous sensibility, fracture, or ligamentous instability. You don't want to be moving that around. Congenital abnormalities. As a general rule, individuals that have developmental abnormalities, so something that they're born with, is usually something one that you don't want to mobilize, whether it's Down syndrome, um, cerebral palsy, any sort of those genetic disorders, you don't want to be doing manual therapy to increase range of motion because there's likely to be additional associated disorders that can be negatively affected by manual therapy. Pathological change in vascularity, so again, vessel problem, coagulation problems. So whether if they're hemophilia, they're, not, they're gonna bleed too much, or if they're on drugs, they're gonna bleed too much. So if they have anticoagulant um, medications. Dermatologic open wounds, again, the same thing. Active inflammation or patients with autonomic systemic disorders, um, diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, those types of things. So do you guys see how it all kind of centers around the same idea? Like I said, you can memorize the list, but if you understand the principles, I don't think that you need to memorize the list. You can just sort of log logically work your way through it, hopefully. And again, this is just if you're increasing range of just three, four, five, or? Um, as a general rule, I would say it's just three, four, five. I would do grades one and two on just about anybody. Would you agree with that, Dr. Williams? Yeah, with the types of patients, you normally be sick. Yeah, right. Another list, and this is um, Colin Borden, so he's talking about specifically to grade three stretch mobilization, so this is going to be related to traction. Um, if you have this is contraindications again. Decreased joint play with hard or probably inappropriate end feels with a hypomobility. Again, so inappropriate end feels. Increased joint play with soft elastic end feel and a hypermobile movement direction. So this is a hypermobility. You're not wanting to stretch a hypermobility. Pain and spasm during mobilization. So if you take them into a traction position, you start to stretch and they, their body locks down, um, you don't want to continue with that or if they have positive screening tests for other non-musculoskeletal conditions, central nervous system involvement, vascular problems, stuff like that. So when we go into manual therapy, and it won't be until next week, we're not going to do any grade five mobilizations to the direct segments of the cervical spine. I will show you guys a cervical thoracic distraction manipulation, but we're not going to be doing any specific uh, manipulations to the cervical spine as part of this class. Um, but even in doing lower grades of mobilization, you want to make sure that that individual has normal or um, adequate vascularity to the, or to the brain by the vertebral artery. And you're going to test that with a, there's a couple different tests that you're going to do, um, whether you do manipulation or mobilization. But specifically for both of these, you're going to do a sustained end range rotation with extension to both sides. And if you think about the anatomy of the vertebral artery, 
remember as you rotate to one side, you're going to stretch it across the other side due to the transverse process of seam one being anterior and lateral, as we talked about in the biomechanics and anatomy review um, earlier last, last week, earlier this week. So what you're gonna do, um, can I have a volunteer and I'll show you guys what we're gonna do for this one? Someone without cervical spine pathology. It's not gonna hurt. All right. See, now is when I tell you it is going to hurt. On your back. So there's different ways that you can do this, and this is this is also covered in that pre-manipulative screening related to VBI with the, Ameri the Australian Physiotherapy Association. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that individual, and depending on where you read, you're going to either extend and rotate or just rotate their cervical spine to end range. So you're going to go end range rotation one way. I'm going to take your into extension because that's the way I was taught to slide the prism stuff. I'm fall off. Is there a seatbelt? Is there a seatbelt? Slide 13. Okay. And so what you're thinking of now, you've gone through her history already. She doesn't have any central nervous system signs. You don't have think that she is going to have any problem with this, but you're still gonna test everyone for this anyways if you're doing manual therapy, particularly to the upper cervical spine above C4. Remember, the vertebral artery comes in at C6. So what I'm gonna have, what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna extend her a little bit and rotate her to end range. I'm supporting her head, and what I'm gonna have her do is count down from 10. So count down out loud by 10. 10, And I take her back to the resting position. And so with that, if she had a vertebral problem on her left side, because I rotated her to her right, she could have like central nervous system signs, so she could get dizzy, which is probably the most common, but she could have the five Ds or the three Ns, remember we talked about dizziness, double vision, um, dysphagia, dysarthria, drop attack, she's not going to faint, hopefully, on the table. But if any of those become present, or three, the three ends, which is nystagmus, so her eyes start to go a little wacky, um, nausea, upset stomach, this is the other end. Uh, numbness. So if she has any numbness come on, you automatically stop. So you're going to say, these are the things I'm looking for before I start the test, have her count down, you can slide down. And have her count down. Um, from there, if any of those come on, you instantly stop, and when you're done with your testing, get her back into neutral and wait 10 seconds to see if any of those symptoms come about. If they don't, you're going to go ahead and test her to the other side. Now, the reason that I had her count down as opposed to having me count is because, one, I'm going to tell her I'm looking for dizziness, but if she is unable to talk or she's dysarthric, that's going to become apparent as she's counting down. Also, what I should have instructed her to do and I did not, is when I rotated her head to the side, so come on down, pull the, the other side because we'll test you on both sides. So you're gonna test both sides no matter what. Extend down here, and now I want you to look at me as you're counting down. Okay, count down from 10. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Okay. And come back in neutral. You can hold her in this position or you can have her lay down in this neutral position again. So it's a 10 second hold to the side, have the patient count down, 10 seconds back to neutral, and you can slide down again. And so by having her look at me, by taking her eyes and having them rotate all the way to one side, you're gonna be looking for an nystagmus, in which case her eyes would be shifting side to side. And some of you guys will probably have nystagmus by going through this test, and it's not necessarily a positive sign. So 
Some people have it and that will be the only sign and then you have to decide if you want to continue or not. I would say don't continue. Have an arthrogram, make sure that the blood supply, excuse me, an angiogram, make sure the blood supply is okay. Um, and then if it is, then you can continue with your treatment. So if any of them are present, you don't really want to do it? Correct. If any of them are present, you're going to want to send this, call the doctor and say, this is what I found. I think it's appropriate that you make sure that she has adequate blood size grain and explain the test and why you did things like that. So that's going to be your sustained end range rotation with extension um, to both sides. Countdown, looking for this R3 by her having her count, you're looking for her inability to talk, dizziness, and nystagmus with the eye position. So those are covering the three of the eight big signs um, that are your big red flags as far as vertebral artery compromise just by doing one sustained position, having that individual count. Now the pre-manipulative hold, so we're not gonna go into any manips of the cervical spine, but if you're in the clinic and you are, take another class or we might, um, in your third year, we can go over some of this stuff if you want. Um, but I might get her into a manipulative position, so just relax. And we're saying I'm gonna do, just relax. <laughs> I'm not going to do a minute. So I just get her to relax. Relax. <laughs> Let me hold your head. Let me hold your head. There you go. So we'll say that this is my pre-manipulative position. So I'm going to do manipulation from this position here, and I'm not going to actually do anything, but I'm holding this position. I'm going to have her do the same thing again. So you just count down from 10. 10, 9, 8. Do I need to look at you, No, you're okay. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. And then you take her back to neutral. So it's going to be 10 seconds in that pre-manipulative position, and then 10 seconds in neutral, looking for any of those big indicators that you're um, affecting the vascularity of her tube artery. Thanks. Yeah. For clarification on the first one, are we talking about extension neutral or hyperextension? Because sometimes... Well, that's what... I don't know if it makes a whole lot of difference because some people say hyperextension and some people say extension relatively like a neutral position or a slightly extended position. So I think the biggest difference is having an end range rotation, whether you're fully hyperextended or you're in a neutral position, so basically not a flexed position. I don't know that it makes that much of a difference, but you'll read it both ways. Yeah, not only for this, but I mean, at the hip and everything, people are saying extension, hyperextension, we just got to make sure you're talking the same definition. Right. So the pre-manipulative hold, and we didn't, yeah, so what I did was I got her into the position that I was going to perform that manipulation. So for when I do cervical manipulation, I get him into a flex position with maybe a little bit of lateral bend and a little bit of lateral translation in the opposite direction, and we're not going to do any cervical manips, but you're going to, if you're going to go into a manipulative position, you're going to hold them where you would perform that manipulation, which is going to be your end range position. Because remember, grade five, you go to the end range and you go a little bit beyond to that. So you want to take them to their end range position and see if, so this is already going to be negative, doesn't cause any problems. Now you want to see if the position you're actually going to test them in is going to cause any problems. Because vertebra already comes in at C6, so you can have a problem from C6 and up. I don't know what percentage of the problems occur um, at C1, but I would guess it would be greater than 95% are going to occur up in the upper cervical spine, so that's where you're most concerned. But appreciate the vertebral artery does come in down at C6 generally, so it can be lower, although it's not nearly as much because the, they just line up and they go through the lateral foramen. Yeah. yeah. Just some reminding, I forget, I think it was Nancy, one of the students asked me a question about um, end range, and 
sometimes there's a pathological end, end range. Remember, all these people are restricted. So when we say go to end range, it's not necessarily going through what you expect them to be normal. They go to the range that their joints are allowing them at that time. And that would be, so it's either or. or. If right. they're restricted, it's going to pathological end range is different than the normal physiological end range. Does that make sense? That does get confusing. That so you go to that individual's end range, whatever their end range is. If it's limited in rotation, you go to their end range rotation. If it's normal rotation, like you guys would expect amongst each other, you take them to whatever the end range is, whether it's what you would expect it to be or limited based on their pathology. Questions about a vascular screen? So I don't know how well you guys can read this, um, but this is from, again, this is Australia Physiotherapy Association. They're big on pre preventing strokes, which we all should be big on preventing strokes, especially due to our treatments. Um, and this is the algorithm that they use as to who should be included as far as who you do manual therapy on, whether it's appropriate, um, related to the vertebral artery only. So who should be screened and then what screening should be done? So the top is the patient presents with cervical problem or you need to examine the cervical spine. So somewhere in the history, the patient has a neck problem or you decide that the problem is coming from their neck. Um, that's good. And then based on that, you should ask them questions about do they have the five Ds or the three Ns? So do they have subjective VBI questions and how do they answer those? If they say that they have dizziness, dysarthria, all those types of things, any one of those things. They, so they have a presence of those identified. Um, your physical exam is going to include active movements going into that position and going into the testing positions that we just talked about and we just demonstrated here with Stephanie. Um, if again, they have VBI symptoms, you're gonna refer them for investigation. So you're gonna call a doctor and say, I have this patient and I think they might have a problem with the tube artery, can you check it out? Um, they recommend not doing any cervical manipulation and only to treat gently as their recommendations. I would say you definitely not going to do manipulation and you might only educate them and send them to the doctor. I don't know if I would even do a gentle treatment because you don't want to mess around with that at all. So if you ask them questions, there's nothing in their history that indicates they have vertebral artery compromise. Um, your physical exam is going to go through the same thing and you're going to screen as you go through the accessory movements and through the um, active movements. If when you're doing the active movements or the accessory movements they have symptoms that occur during that, um, call the doctor. So you're going to see the common theme is if they have symptoms, call the doctor and make sure it's not a problem with vascularity. Again, here it says monitor carefully during treatment, no end range rotation techniques, no cervical manipulation. So if they don't tell you that they have a problem, but you pick it up on your passive movement testing, it's probably not as involved if, as if they're saying that they have a problem. Um, still, if someone comes up with VBI symptoms, more than just dizziness, call a doctor. So they come, you do a physical exam, they don't have any problem, they don't have any VBI symptoms with your history or with your exam, you're gonna treat them as you would normally treat anyone because they don't exhibit any reason why you would be concerned. And if your treatment choice is cervical manipulation, you're going to want to go through the holds that I just did on Stephanie um, and make sure that you test bilaterally. So the end range rotation is to be bilateral no matter what. 
in your pre-manipulative position, if you're doing more than one manipulation, you're going to do it in all of your pre-manipulative positions. If you're only doing one, then you only have to do it in one. And if based on that they have symptoms of EBI, do not manipulate and then refer to the doc. If you go through all that and they don't have any symptoms of EBI, then you can do your manipulation, assuming that you've done the stability test, which we're going to talk about next. Um, what they also talk about, and it's in that document I'm going to ask you guys to read, is that you're going to explain the risks and benefits, you're going to obtain consent to do the manipulation, um, and then you're going to educate them, and they should be informing you as you're doing the manipulation what they're feeling, and transiently later if they have any problems when they go home, and they should be instructed to call you or call the doctor as appropriate as well. So it's not just get them up, as I say, rack them, stack them, crack them. Um, it's not that, it's education throughout and then getting constant feedback as you're going through. Questions about that algorithm? Um, I was just thinking, do you have to screen somebody every time they come in? Yes, okay. you do. The same person? The same person, yes. <laughs> so if someone, if you're treating someone with neck pain and they come in and for whatever reason they didn't tell you they were in an accident, they fell off their bike, maybe something innocuous where they already had maybe a little injury to the artery, and you go ahead and you do a manip on them and that exacerbates a stroke because you didn't test them before that specific treatment, um, you're at fault for that. So you want to test them every time you're going to do this. Like upper extremity, do you have to worry about it What do you mean upper extremity? Like it goes to shoulder patient? No, no, this is only for the cervical spine. Yeah, so this is only related to cervical spine. Would you have to ask them all the questions again or just do the whole ones? I would go through everything again. Everything. Yeah. Any other questions? So one thing that we've been neglecting a little bit is that people that have accidents involving their neck and their head can have vestibular problems which can cause dizziness. And we talked about dizziness is a bad sign, indicates a problem with blood flow to the brain, which is one option. Another option is that they're having a problem within their vestibular system, and that's what's causing the dizziness. So that's why some people will talk about dizziness as a relative contraindication, but you're certainly going to follow up on it. Um, and in order to try and differentiate between that, here's another algor algorithm that you can use, but it's the same thing. We're trying to find out, is the dizziness related to their vascularity or is it related to the vestibular system? Um, so the same thing, and you start with patient history, you're going to ask them the VBI questions, so your 5Ds, 3Ns. If they say yes, that they have those, send them to the doc. If they say I'm dizzy, um, depending on the position I'm in, and that's the only one they're telling you, that may be vestibular, it may be vascular. So you're going to do the objective VBI testing, what we just did here with Stephanie, including cervical rotation tests. If that is positive, send them to the doc. If that is still causing them dizziness, then you're trying to figure out, because as I position the head, it can cause a problem to the blood flow and it can cause a problem to the, or the <coughs> vestibular system. So what you do from that position is, is you do a body on head rotation test. Sunshine, can I bother you for a second? 
So I'm going to take her to end range rotation, just like I did Stephanie laying down. But instead of me moving her head, I'm going to move her body. So since what I want you to do is you're in the spinny chair, what I want you to do is keep your head straight that way. And I want you to turn your body over towards Dr. Williams in the door, as far as you can. So what I'm doing here is I get her to end range rotation, and I want to see if this increases her dizziness. If this does increase her dizziness, we're thinking it's a vertebral, pro or it's a vertebral artery problem. You can go back to the straight. We're thinking it's a vertebral artery problem because rotation is rotation, whether it's head down, top down, or bottom up. Whereas if it's vestibular system, that's going to be aggravated by head movements. So I'm not moving her head, I'm moving her body. Remember, the vestibular system works through the ears, which you guys are going to vestibular rehab later. But if I'm keeping her ears stable and it's not causing any dizziness, it's probably a vestibular problem and not a vascular problem. Because her head is staying stable and her body is rotating on her head. And you did this test with some standing? Yeah. You can. Yes, you can. Yeah, why don't you go ahead and do that? Because it's So if you don't have a spinny chair, it's the same thing again. You're going to stabilize the individual's head and just turn your head to one, turn your body towards one side and keep looking straight ahead. Yeah, just like that. So the same thing again. Anything about control. So if you're giving it to me a 10 second hold again, you can have a seat. And a 10 second follow up. Now, if they immediately get dizzy when they're in that standing position or the seated position where their body's moving on their head, you're thinking arterial or artery sent them to the dock. Um, if the body on the head test doesn't it provoke their symptoms, they think it's a vestibular problem, and then you can either treat the vestibular problem or you can refer it to someone who's better appropriate to treat the vestibular problem. Any questions about differentiating between blood flow and vestibular system issues? Because they're both going to tell you that they're dizzy. And it's both going to be provoked by head position and changes in cervical position. Could you start with that? Could you? You could, but I would recommend having them do it in supine because if they pass out, it's a whole lot easier if somebody's in supine than if in standing. <laughs> now, hopefully, you would have caught it before that if it's going to be that severe, but you better, again, just to be cautious. I had a patient last year that was in a car accident, and she came in, she had really bad neck pain, she had ridiculous spasm, I couldn't move her neck at all. And she said she'd get dizzy once in a while. And I wasn't too concerned about it because I was really just trying to educate her, decrease her inflammation. And then once I got some movement, I was considering doing um, some mobilizations and manipulations to her neck. So I investigated it further. And I did the supine test. And she was positive and she got dizzy. So I wait till that dizziness cleared, which is an important test before you start another one. Make sure that person's science clear so you know what test it's coming from. And then I did the body on head rotation test with her. And she got dizzy again. And I said, okay, we're not going to do anything anymore. Called the doc with her right there. I explained to him what was going on. He said, good pickup, send her in. And she went right to his office right then. We did an angiogram and she ended up being fine. She didn't have any vascular problems. Um, and they didn't have any reason to attribute the dizziness to any vascular problems or vestibular problems. Um, and he said to go, but not to do any manual therapy at the spine as a conservative measure. So we did that. Um, I don't know what ended up happening as far as the dizziness because I ended up... Um, moving here to teach you guys. So I don't know what happened to her, but it does come up in the clinic and doesn't always mean that it's a blood flow issue or a vestibular issue. So what I'll have you guys do is practice those tests on each other and then we'll call it a day and we'll pick up with this again on Tuesday? Tuesday.
Any questions? Can I just yes. ask, um, when you were doing the vertebral artery test with my head and extension, mm -hmm. were you flexing the lower and then extending the upper? I couldn't, it was hard to tell. Um, like, not necessarily. That wasn't my intention if I was. Because I felt like I was going into flexion, but I couldn't tell. When, I, when you rotate? Yeah. You will a little bit, and so it just depends. Like I said, it, whether you're in neutral or hyperextension, it do, I don't know if it makes that much of a difference as far as long as your end range rotation. Okay. What's the presentation with those three D's? That was on the...